السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمد عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد Welcome to um, QP Quranic Progression and uh, inshallah ta'ala before we begin uh, with our tafsir of Surah Al-Tariq we're going to continue from where we left off I have a few announcements to make um, inshallah ta'ala so the first of those announcements is that actually today's lesson is the last lesson of this academic year inshallah ta'ala uh, which kind of took me to be honest with you as, as a, uh, with a bit of surprise um, I actually thought we had two lessons left I thought this week and next week we had two lessons left uh, but it seems like uh, from what I can tell is today is the 22nd of Sha'ban and so potentially next Tuesday could be the first Taraweeh so we're literally like a week or just over a week away from Ramadan so because there's that potential of next week being um, you know being uh, the first Taraweeh then Obviously, if it is, then that means there wouldn't be a, a QP lesson anyway. So just to err on the side of caution, and, and I think most people probably a couple of days before Ramadan maybe just want to get into the Ramadan um, spirit and just get prepared for that month. So uh, bearing all of that in mind, today is the last lesson. And with that, inshallah ta'ala, we come to the conclusion of uh, our 50 of QP, alhamdulillah ta'ala. And inshallah ta'ala, therefore, today we're going to finish the tafsir of Surah Al-Tariq. Which is okay because we were kind of like, you know, it would have more or less finished today or maybe some of next week and then we would have done a special as we usually do in the last lesson. So alhamdulillah, that's kind of worked out well. So that's the first thing um, that I just wanted everyone to be aware of. I think an email was sent out today by Abu Isa, Sheikh Abu Isa. Uh, and so therefore, like you can refer to that for some of the other details concerning uh, some of the other programs that he's doing. I know Divine Link, he, he launched recently uh, with the Maghrib Institute. So that's something which you can look up. Uh, as well as some of the other projects that he's referring to. Um, for myself, inshallah ta'ala, this weekend we have Al-Isnad, as our final Isnad course also before the month of Ramadan. So as we usually do the month of Ramadan, we don't do Isnad because of Ramadan. So this will be the final course before the month of Ramadan, and it kind of then brings us also to the end of our first year of Al-Isnad. So our first year of Al-Isnad, we had like a gap of a few months in between, but our first end or first property of Al-Isnad kind of comes to an end. So this weekend, inshallah ta'ala, we'll be going through the book of Al-Shama'il by Imam Al-Tirmidhi rahimahullah ta'ala, which is a book that speaks about the description of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, both physical and character-wise and worship and so on. So anything connected to the personality of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So therefore, that's going to be our weekend course, inshallah ta'ala. For those who are in the Telegram group, you probably already have the information. For everyone else, you can go to wwwal uh, isnad with 1a.co.uk for more information and that's going to be held at Greenland Masjid inshallah ta'ala this weekend in person and you know you can follow that on, on the on their YouTube uh, live channel as well uh, so that's the second thing then inshallah ta'ala when it comes to the month of Ramadan uh, as we've been doing for the past uh, few years now alhamdulillah we're going to be doing our intensive tafsir so um, we started this tafsir program a few years back because as you can see the tafsir that we're doing at QP is something which is going to be very detailed and is going to take uh, a long time for us to even finish the first juz let alone all 30 and so we started the tafsir program in Ramadan which is much quicker much much more intense and, and much faster paced and so therefore alhamdulillah we've already finished tafsir al-jalalain and then we started two years ago tafsir al-sa'di and we are just over halfway through. So inshallah ta'ala, this year we're going to begin from the beginning of the 17th juz, Surah Al-Anbiya, the 17th juz inshallah ta'ala. And we will be ta'ala do as much as we can this year with the uh, intention inshallah finishing next year. So we have, we've done two years of Saudi and we have inshallah another two years left of Saudi as well. So again, that's going to be inshallah at Greenland Masjid every day in the month of Ramadan. I don't have the exact timing yet, but I think most likely, similar to last year, we'll be after Salat al-Dhuhr every day. And again, it's like on YouTube, so people can follow it uh, later on or, or just watch it remotely if they wish to. And then for everything else, like in terms of QP, restart dates, revision, exams, all of that stuff, then inshallah, just keep an eye on the Telegram groups. And that's something which will be announced as and when inshallah ta'ala. 
So this is therefore our final lesson as we said uh, before we break for the month of Ramadan and our summer break which is kind of like strange now because it's not it certainly doesn't feel like the summer in the UK anyway um, and obviously with Ramadan coming earlier um, and us kind of pushing uh, you know like so we have like uh, obviously like we start around end of August September so that's like quite a few months so I don't know if we're going to look at changing that perhaps we will I don't know Allah alam. But either way, all of that information, all of those app updates will be given to you in the Telegram group, Ibnillah Ta'ala. So, let us go back to our tafsir, inshallah ta'ala, with the view of finishing today. We are on verse number 13. So last week, we spoke about the statements of Allah Azza wa in which he takes another oath, more or less in the midway point of the surah, towards the end of the surah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes an oath again by the uh, heavens and that which recurs from it. And we said that the majority of the scholars with tafsir of the position that it is rain, that recurs from it, and there are other positions amongst the scholars of tafsir as well. But this is the position of the majority, and then that rain is therefore a uh, you know a uh, referring to the issue of the Quran and how the just as the rain gives physical nourishment, the Quran gives spiritual nourishment, and the oath that Allah Azza then takes in verse number twelve, which is of the earth and that which it brings out, and that is the vegetation. So likewise, the Quran gives spiritual nourishment, spiritual rain, and from it comes. Iman and good deeds and that is the if you like the vegetation the crop that comes in that metaphor Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after taking those two um, those two oaths as we've said before when there is an oath there is a jawab al-qasm so we have the oath and we have the reason for which the oath was taken that is essentially verse number 13 and so Allah Azza wa says in verse number 13 fasl the translation of Professor Abdul Harim, this is truly a decisive statement. O Mufti Taqi, this is a decisive word. O Muhsin Khan, verily this, and then in brackets, the Quran is the word that separates, and then in brackets, the truth from falsehood, and so on. And Sahih International, indeed, it, meaning the Quran in brackets, is a decisive statement. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes this oath, and then he mentions Jalla fi ula, the Jawab al Qasim. The Jawab al Qasim being that it is. That it is a decisive statement. Uh, Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu he said that the that the, that the meaning of the word or the meaning of the verse laqulun fasl decisive statement means that it is the truth. And Qatada rahimahullah ta'ala said something similar that it is decisive, it is a hukam, it is a ruling that Allah Azza wa has decreed. And Imam Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala he said that indeed this statement or this statement meaning this uh, this statement. It is laqawlun fasl. And he said the meaning of laqawlun fasl is that it is something. So the word fasl means decisive, but it also means a fasl is normally something which is which is a distinguishing factor, something which differentiates. And so he said, laqawlun yafsilu bayna al-haqqi wal-batil bi-bayani. It is something which differentiates between truth and falsehood with its uh, with its information or with its, uh, you know, with, with what is contained therein. The scholars of tafsir, differ then amongst themselves concerning what the pronoun is referring to. So Allah Azza wa Jal doesn't say in the Quran or in this verse in verse number 13 fasl. He says innahu, it. Indeed it is a truly decisive statement or this is a truly decisive statement. And so the scholars differ as to what this this is referring to. What is the this referring to? Many of the scholars of Tafsir and this is the one that you find in, in the translations for those that have added their the parentheses and brackets, and you will find this to be common in also many of the books of tafsir, is that it's referring to the Qur'an. This is a decisive statement, meaning this Qur'an is a decisive statement. It distinguishes between the truth and falsehood. And no doubt that is something which the Qur'an does, because from the names of the Qur'an, as we know, is that it is al-Furqan, a criterion, or a distinguisher between truth and falsehood, between iman and disbelief, and so on and so forth. And that is why it is one of the names of the surah as well, so the, 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 the description or the attribute of the Qur'an being a Furqan or the name of Furqan being given to the Qur'an is something which is well known and established. And so this is why you will find that many of the scholars were of this, um, were of this position. That it's referring to the Qur'an that this is a decisive statement, meaning this Qur'an is a decisive statement. That is the first position. The, and, and that's the one that Imam Al-Qurtubi chose as well and, and many of the other scholars of Tafsir uh, the other position 
is that the this that is referring to is what has already proceeded in the surah. What has proceeded in the surah? Why did Allah take the first uh, set of oaths for? It was for the issue of resurrection. Resurrection that indeed Allah can bring you back. He has the ability. So that returning of from death back to life, that is what Allah took the oaths for at the beginning of the surah. And so the other position amongst the scholars of tafsir is that when Allah says, that indeed this is the decisive statement, meaning that this is the truth that you will be resurrected. So that this is referring to the same issue of resurrection. And therefore the whole surah, as opposed to those scholars who say that the first half of it or the first part of it is referring to resurrection, the second part of it referring to the Qur'an, all of the surah in this case is referring to resurrection. And this was the position of a number of the scholars of tafsir also. So, uh, Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that Allah Azza wa Jal mentions this is a decisive statement and he says the decisive statement refers to the Qur'an وَقِيلَ and others said هُوَ مَا تَقَدَّمَ مِنَ الْوَعِيدِ فِي هَذِهِ السُّورَةِ It is what Allah Azza wa Jal mentioned in terms of the threat of punishment and so on for those who disbelieve in resurrection. Abu Hayyan, rahimahullah, the famous scholar of tafsir al-Andalusi who has, as we've said, a tafsir which also uh, focuses on the Arabic language and Qiraat and so on and so forth. He says that which uh, he's, Abu Hayyan mentioned the position of Imam Al-Qurtubi, that the, this refers to the Qur'an. And then he said also that it's possible that what the other scholars said is also true. And that is that Allah Azza wa is referring to this decisive statement being concerning the issue of resurrection. So as we said, this was one of the major issues that the the people of the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the Quraysh and so on, the Arabs, had an issue with. They had a problem with this issue of resurrection. And so Allah is saying that this is the decisive statement, which means that this is the reality that will happen, that you will be resurrected on Yawmul Qiyamah. Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin says, And the context of the surah, it goes to show or strengthen this second position, meaning that it's referring to, to resurrection. Because the whole surah is speaking about this issue of Allah's ability and power to resurrect and that people after death will be brought back to life. And he says that there are three ways in which this is done in the surah. The first is that Allah takes the, uh, takes the oath that he does at the beginning of the surah with the heavens and the shooting stars and so on. All of this to show his power subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two, the creation of humans and how they were created from a single drop, and how Allah Azza wa Jal therefore has the ability to bring back that person to life just as he created them in the first time. And number three then, is what Allah Azza wa Jal is referring to in the, in the set, second set of oaths, the earth, the, the heavens and the rain and the earth and its vegetation, and that is because just as the rain descends and gives life back to the earth, then likewise Allah Azza wa Jal will give life to the dead after they have passed away. He then says after all of this, and what also goes to show this, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an calls one of the names of the day of judgment in the Qur'an is Yawm al-Fasl. As Allah Azza wa mentions in Surah Al-Mursalat, And so one of the days or the names of the day of resurrection is Yawm al-Fasl, which means the day in which there will be discernment or differentiation between the people, between the believers and the disbelievers, between the people of paradise and the people of the fire. And so Allah Azza wa here says, إِنَّهُ لَقَوْلٌ فَصْلٌ and one of the names of the days of Yawm al the day of uh, one of the names of the day of judgment is Yawm al Fasl. Uh, Ibn al Qayyim, rahimahullah ta'ala, he says that the Qawl al Fasl is that which differentiates between everything that is correct and everything which is incorrect or false. And so the Quran is something which causes or allows the person to differentiate between these two. And that is a correct meaning. And so it's possible that we can say, therefore, that the the Qur'an descends between the truth and the false and likewise Allah here is referring to that taking place or also that happening in the context of resurrection um, and as we said before uh, you know a number of the scholars or of the position that it's referring to the this is referring to the Qur'an so as we said that was the position of Imam Al-Qurtubi, Ibn Atiyah had the same position, Ibn Ashur rahimahumullah all of them had that same position Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. In verse number 14, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continues and he says, وَمَا هُوَ بِالْهَزْلِ 
it is not something to be taken lightly. And that is the translation of Professor Abdul Harim, uh, Sahih International, and it is not amusement. Mufti Taqi, it is not a joke. And Muhsin Khan, it is not a thing for amusement. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after saying that the Quran is decisive, or that this statement is decisive, that it differentiates between the truth and falsehood, Allah Azzawajal says that it is not hazal. And hazal is something which people say without being serious. It is the opposite in many ways of fasl. So fasl is something which is serious, it is decisive. Uh, it has strength and conviction and, 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 and power behind it. Al-hazal is the opposite. Al-hazal is when you take something lightly, you don't take it seriously. Um, you, uh, you, you say something without thinking of it in any serious terms. And that is why the hadith of the Prophet the Prophet said, three things, if you say them seriously, they are serious. Or if you do them seriously, they are serious. The word hazl is used again. And if you do them lightly, meaning you don't take them seriously, they're still serious. And then he mentioned, for example, marriage and divorce in uh, some of the narrations or some of the weddings. And so, for example, if a person is joking around saying to his wife, you're divorced, and he's just saying it as a joke, many of the scholars are of the position that, no, that's not a joke. You can't just go around saying that to that person without, you know, and then expecting them just to laugh it off. It's not an issue to joke about. Or someone, for example, in one of the narrations, the Prophet said in the same hadith that one of those issues is al-itaq, freeing a slave. Go to a slave and say you're freed, and then you say to him to the next day that no, I was just joking. That's not something which you can consider to be an issue to play around with. And so al-hazal in many ways, therefore, is the opposite of al-fasl. It is something which is said lightly, not said seriously, and therefore isn't decisive. Therefore doesn't differentiate between one thing or another. And that is why Ibn Abbas عنهما, said that the word al-hazal refers to batil, refers to falsehood. And Sa'id ibn Jubayr ta'ala, he said that the Quran is not, or this statement is not hazal, meaning that it's not a game or it's not a, uh, it's not la'ib, it's not amusement. And Mujahid ta'ala, said something very similar. Ibn Atiyah said, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, that the word hazl means al-la'ibul batil. It is false amusement or false joking. And Imam Al-Tabari, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, said that the Quran, or this statement, therefore, وَمَا هُوَ بِاللَّعِبِ وَلَا الْبَاطِلِ It is neither false nor is it something which should be taken as amusement or lightly. Ibn Ashur, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he says that Allah Azza wa Jal says that this Quran shouldn't be taken as something which is light. Right? And because as we said before, Ibn Ashur was of the position that the, this, this decisive statement is referring to the Quran. He says that Allah says that it's not something which should be taken lightly because the Quran is something which is decisive. Something which is decisive. He says that we then have to understand why does Allah mention this as a secondary, uh, if you like, description or as a secondary uh, attribute of the Quran. So Allah Azzawajal said that it's decisive. Right? That in itself could have been enough. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala negates from the Quran that it is something which is or can be taken in amusement or lightly or not seriously. He says and the reason for this and Allah Azzawajal knows best is that this Quran was sent in order to refute the beliefs of the mushrikeen because they were of the position or they used to claim that the Prophet ﷺ is messing around, he's joking, when he says, for example, that the dead will come back to life. They would consider this to be a joke, and they would make fun of this, and they would mock the Prophet ﷺ, as we know, in a number of incidents. And Allah Azza mentions this in the Quran, that often they would say, Do you really claim that once we're bones and dust, that we're going to be created anew once again? So even the Quran mentions that they would take this lightly and that they would make fun of this. Um, and so Allah and so Ibn Ashur says that this is something which they used to do. And by doing this, they wanted to misguide the people. They wanted their people who hadn't yet come to Islam but were hearing or listening to the Prophet were aware of what was going on. They didn't want them to come closer to the Quran. And so one of the, the, the traps that they would use, or if you like, one of the tactics that they would use, the Quraysh at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, is that they would try to make light of what the Prophet ﷺ was saying in his message. And they would mock, 
and they would joke and they would make fun. And these were the tactics that they would use. Because then once, even if something is serious, once people start to see it as a joke or they begin to laugh or you make a joke of it and it quote, that takes away the seriousness of the issue. And this is why today, even in, if you like, for example, in, in popular culture, uh, you find, for example, in many comedies, uh, you know, comedians, it's one of the, the, you know, the topics that they often use is they will make something light, so they make fun of something to show that it's something which is light. And so often they make fun of religion, or often they make fun of beliefs, often they will make, for example, uh, they make fun of Jesus and Christianity and certain religions and certain practices and so on. Very common, very common in TV, very common in movies, very common in stand-up comedy, very common in, in books that are of a comedic nature, very common. And so this is one of the ways to take people away from the seriousness of the, of the issue. Even till the, to the extent now that we see that people, for example, will make fun of death, right? So death is now becoming a laughing topic, or it's becoming a topic that people can joke about and laugh about and take lightly. And this is something which then becomes uh, something which you see mass on mass within the community, within the society. So if you look at it, for example, maybe 100, 200 years ago, people didn't make fun of dying. They didn't make fun of laughing. Because people gen genuinely would see major calamities strike, right? So you would see, for example, people dying in famine, people dying in drought, people dying because as a result of diseases and pandemics and so on, people dying because of major wars and so on. And then once things became easier over the last 20, 30 years, it changes. And that's why over the COVID period, you found that people were a lot more sensitive to this issue because literally people are dying and people are dying on mass, like thousands of people are dying and people are dying who are young and who are healthy and people who don't have previous conditions or health issues, people were dying. But once that that goes out of the, you know, goes out of the, the mindset of people, people's thoughts are far away from it, they start to make fun of those things again. It starts to become a topic for jokes and a subject matter that can be taken lightly again. And so this is essentially what they did. Like this is a new tactic, something which has always been done uh, for all of the Prophets, including our Prophet So the Quraysh would make fun of these issues. They would make fun of the Prophet They would make fun of his followers. You know, what kind of people are they that are following Islam? Look at them, look at who they are, what do they represent? What? And so people make fun of them. And they would make fun of the message of Islam, whether it's the worship of Allah alone, or whether it's, for example, the practices of Islam, the worship of Islam, because it was different to the way that the Quraysh worshipped, or, for example, um, issues like this, resurrection, and, 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 and these types of issues of Iman, which are the core beliefs of Islam. These are the things that they make fun of. Uh, and that is why, as Allah Azza wa mentions in the Qur'an, that they would say, وَقَالَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا لَا تَسْمَعُوا لِهَذَا الْقُرْآنِ وَالْغَوْ فِيهِ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَغْلِبُونَ They would say the disbelievers don't listen to the Qur'an, but rather make fun of it. Right? Rather when it comes when people are speaking or when, when someone recites the Qur'an, have vain speech, just do anything, make sounds and mock and whatever, and so you take people's attention away from the Quran. And that is because the Quran, as we know, requires a level of understanding, requires a level of contemplation. A person who stops and listens and understands and contemplates the Quran, that uh, guidance and light penetrates their heart, even amongst the Muslims. Whereas if someone, even a Muslim, is listening to the Quran but they're not really listening, they're hearing the Qur'an, but they're not stopping, they're not studying, they're not thinking, they're not understanding, they're not contemplating. Its effect, therefore, becomes less. And it doesn't have the same uh, the same issue that it has, or the same effect that it should have otherwise. And that is why Ibn Ashur, Allah he says that Allah mentions this issue here. وَمَا هُوَ بِالْهَزَرِ It's not something to make fun of, not something to be taken lightly. The Qur'an and everything that it contains is something which is serious. And so, therefore... Uh, you know, it's unfortunate that sometimes you see even amongst Muslims and people who are genuinely like well-mannered and, and well-intentioned and so on, sometimes we make fun of the Qur'an or we make fun of, not directly of the Qur'an, but one of the issues that the Qur'an speaks about. So it may be an act of worship, it may be a command of Allah Azza wa Jal in terms of the way that we dress or the way that we should behave or the way that we should eat or drink or whatever, and people are make, make, make fun of this. And that indirectly is a way of making fun of the Qur'an because that's kind of what the Quraysh are doing. They're not necessarily making fun of the Qur'an every time, but they're taking the messages of the Qur'an and they're making fun of them and using them as amusement as well. And so this is one of the plots that they had, one of the plans that they had, one of the tactics that they had in order to divert people away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and from the message of Islam. And that is why 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala concludes this surah with this issue of their tactics, of their plans, of their plots and their schemes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse number 15, إِنَّهُمْ يَكِيدُونَ كَيْدًا They plot and they scheme. And that is the translation of uh, Professor Abdul Hanim, uh, Sahih International. Indeed, they are planning a plan. And Mufti Taqi, they are devising plans. And Muhsin Khan, verily they are but, but plotting a plot and then in brackets against you, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore is saying that this is one of the tactics that they had. So what they would do is that they would make light or they would make fun and amusement and mock these types of issues. Resurrection being something which as we know in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, is something which is mentioned many times. And so today when you see people or you hear people making fun of Islam or the Prophet وسلم, or mocking Islam or mocking the Quran, it's not the first time. Some Muslims like today when we see people on the news making fun of the Quran or in any way uh, you know, disrespecting the book of Allah Azza wa Jalla, the Prophet وسلم, we think that it's the first time that it's happened. This is something which has happened from the beginning of Islam, from the time of the Prophet وسلم, and during his lifetime. And not only that, but Allah Azza wa Jalla himself. People have made fun of Allah Azza wa Jalla or mocked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the concept of the worship of Allah Azza wa Jalla alone. And that's again something which you see often in in, in, in popular culture, you'll see that in music, you'll see that in movies, you'll see that in books, you'll see that in comedy. People making fun of God, right, the concept of God or whatever, and they do this in their own different ways. And so this is something very, very common. Allah Azza wa Jalla mentions this in the Quran himself. When they would say, has he made all of our gods into one God? Indeed, that's a strange thing. So they're making fun of the concepts of Islam, the very concept of the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are mocking and making fun of. And that is what Allah Azza wa Jalla then says in verse number 15, They plot, they scheme, they plan, this is what they do. And not only are there plans in terms of, uh, not only is it something which is theoretical, it is practical. It's something which they are actually doing. And what it means by their planning, planning, planning and their plotting is how to divert people away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and from his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. How to divert people away from Islam. What are the things that we can do in order to take people away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And that is why the Muslim is the one whose role is the opposite of this. A Muslim, every Muslim, whether you're a student of knowledge or you're not a student of knowledge, whether you're, you're someone who's learned, not learned, our job is to connect people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bring people to Allah Azza wa Jalla. And as we're approaching now, inshallah ta'ala, the month of Ramadan, and ask Allah Azza wa Jalla that He gives us the ability to witness this month and benefit from it and worship Allah Azza wa Jalla in it. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He makes us from those people who themselves are connected to Allah and they connect other people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is essentially what you do. As the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, may Allah make us people who are keys of good, mafatih al-khayr, maghaliq al-shar, make us people who are keys to good, and locks upon evil. And don't make us people who are keys to evil and locks upon good. And sometimes we do this, right? You see, for example, in the month of Ramadan, people are worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They want to read more Quran. They want to give more charity. And so someone comes and says, why are you reading so much Quran? Don't you know that the scholars said, for example, that you should contemplate and so on? So this person like is stuck now. He's like, oh, is that what the scholars said? That person who's the average Muslim, maybe who you saw reading maybe half a juz or a juz or two juz, every day in the month of Ramadan, isn't going to contemplate the Qur'an, they're not going to read tafsir, they're not going to do anything else. Yes, the issue that you're speaking about and what you're seeing is correct from a theoretical point of view or from a study point of view or from, you know, if someone was to, was to actually want to do this in a methodological way, in the correct way, no problem. It's correct. But at the same time, that individual that you're speaking to isn't necessarily going to be from amongst those people that's going to stop now and actively go to seek the understanding of the Qur'an, the tafsir of the Qur'an, or they're going to go, for example, and to do the contemplation of the Qur'an. But what it's going to do instead is make them stop doing the little that they're doing. And so therefore, a person who's you know a student of knowledge, a teacher, uh, someone who's learned, someone who's studied a little bit and has this position where people are going to listen to them or take their advice or whatever, you have to be very careful in the way that you speak to those people. And you have to understand the level of the people that you're speaking to and what it is that Allah has made easy for them. So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made easy for this person to read and they're reading two juz, three juz a day, let them read two or three juz a day, even if they understand very little. 
Because unless they're going to actively do something about that lack of understanding, all you're going to do is stop them from doing the small amount of worship that they're already performing. And so it's better for them to carry on in that way. And so therefore the scholars were very, if you look at the statements of the scholars of the past, the Salaf, they were very, um, they were very conscious of this issue. So we can speak about, about, out about an issue, but if that causes people to turn away from Allah Azza wa Jal or to do, stop doing the acts of worship that they're doing, then, you know, maybe it's better that you leave them. And obviously that's different to innovations. Someone's doing something that's wrong, or they're innovating, or they're doing something which isn't legislated or sanctioned in the Sharia, that's a different issue. But I'm talking about issues that are legislated, the halal, reading Qur'an's halal, making dhikr of Allah Azza wa is halal in the general sentence. Of, people are doing this in the month of Ramadan, let them do it. Or some people, for example, they're giving a lot of charity in the month of Ramadan, and we say to them, no, why are you giving charity in the month of Ramadan? Do it some other time. Let them do what they're doing, if that's all that they have the capability and, and capacity to do. And so don't be people who take away others from, even with the best of intentions, who take others away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why, you know, for example, we have our tafsir class in Ramadan, tafsir al-Sa'di. It's not for everyone. It's a two-hour intense session of tafsir every single day. It's not going to be for each and every single person. Someone, you know, who, who wants, for example, a 10-15 minute clip where they're going to go through the tafsir of a small surah or part of the Qur'an, it's better that they do that than do nothing. Rather than not doing that or not doing tafsir al-Sa'di or not doing anything at all. And so therefore we have to be, we have to understand what it is that people are doing and what it is that the level of, of, of people and so on. This is extremely important, especially when you're dealing with the masses. So yes, the people who are students of knowledge, like for my students, you students here that are with me in QP, I would urge you and I would strongly encourage you to do tafsir al-Sa'di. Because you've stuck this out, QP now, five years, this is, you know, the level, this is the kind of tafsir that you want. For you, it's important to do. So someone who has that motivation, has that discipline, has that level of passion, as the scholars would do in the past, they would tell them to do more. And they would say to them, no, don't do that, do this instead, because they have that capacity to do it. But you have to understand that not everyone's the same. Not everyone's going to attend the weekend course on Shama'il. And you know, it's not going to be the same as, for example, some other courses or some other programs that are available because the format's different and the style of study is different and the way that everything's different. So people have what it is that they're doing. If a person doesn't have the capacity to do one, but has the capacity to do another, it's better than doing nothing at all. And so therefore, this, uh, this is an issue uh, that, that has to be understood and remembered. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that this is the way of the disbelievers. That these people who reject Allah Azza wa all they do is they find different plots and schemes to turn people away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala said, as Imam al said before him, that they are essentially plotting and planning for people to turn away from the Quran and the message of the Quran. They're calling people to other than the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is why Allah Azza wa then says in verse number 16 as a response to this, and I also plot and scheme. And the other translations will be similar. Sahih uh, International, and I am planning a plan. Mufti Taqi, I am devising plans. And Muhsin Khan, and I too am planning a plan. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that these people are planning and plotting in the way that they are. And Allah Azza wa also has his plots and plans. One of the important issues that we have to mention here is an issue concerning aqidah and the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah Azza wa is saying that they plot and plan, and so Allah Azza wa also plots and plans. The, by the way, every attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't necessarily become a name of Allah. So every attribute of Allah Azza wa doesn't necessarily become a name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, every name of Allah Azza wa has an attribute to it. So for example, Allah Azza wa is Ar-Rahim, most merciful. We can deduce from that name an attribute of mercy. But the opposite isn't always true. So for example here, Allah Azza wa is attributing something to himself. Do we say therefore that Allah Azza wa from his names is that he is the plotter or the planner or the schemer? No, because that is not befitting for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the first point. The second point is that these attributes that Allah Azza wa is mentioning here, this specific type of attribute, is what the scholars of Islam say are attributes of muqabala. They are only mentioned in response to something else. So we don't say as a general statement that from the attributes of Allah is that he plots or plans or schemes. Why? Because these attributes can have a positive meaning and a negative meaning as, op as opposed to mercy 
Mercy is a good attribute. It is a positive attribute, gentleness, kindness, and so on. However, these attributes, for example, this one, or what Allah Azza mentions elsewhere in the Quran, in Surah Ali Imran, they plot and Allah plots, or the statement of Allah Azza in Surah Al-Baqarah, when the disbelievers or the hypocrites said that we are only making mockery of you, and Allah says, indeed, Allah mocks them. These are attributes of muqabala. They are done as a result of an action that is perpetrated by one of the creation. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't plot and plan. It's not from the attributes of Allah in that sense. The plotting and planning that is being referred to is the scheming type. Obviously Allah is the best of planners in that sense. But this type, as we can see here from the context of the verse, is the planning and plotting that is done in the scheming sense. When someone is planning to overpower you, to attack you, to in some way uh, make you make uh, cause your downfall. Allah Azza wa Jal in response when it is done to him or towards his religion, his messengers, his awliya, Allah Azza wa Jal plans and plots better than this. And this is in this context an attribute of power and an attribute of perfection. How? Because if if these people were to plot and plan and Allah Azza wa Jal wasn't to retaliate or Allah Azza wa Jal wasn't to overcome them in their plans and schemes or Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala wasn't aware of them that would be an attribute of, of, of incompleteness. It would an be an attribute of weakness. Like me and you, someone right now in the world could be planning against me and you and we don't know. People around us, people, our family members, our neighbours, our friends, people in society, whoever it may be, may be planning against us and we don't have a clue. And that plan could then be hatched and uh, enacted, applied, whatever you want to call it, and we, we are none the wiser. And we fall into that plan and plot and it causes our downfall or our ruin or whatever it may be and we would have no idea that is a attribute of weakness therefore but in this in the name of Allah Azza wa Jal, or in the in when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the perfection of Allah Azza wa Jal necessitates that when someone plans and plots against Allah or his religion or his awliya Allah is aware of that and Allah Azza wa Jal has a plan which is far greater that causes their plan to always fail and so in that context, therefore, it becomes an attribute of perfection. But it is important to remember, therefore, that these attributes, therefore, have to be remembered in this context. That Allah Azza wa only mentions them in the Qur'an, or if they're mentioned in the Sunnah, they're always mentioned in only this context. And that is, that it is as a reaction. It is as a result of the actions of people. So Allah Azza wa doesn't plan and plot and scheme in that sense, generally. But if someone schemes against Allah, Allah is aware of their scheme and Allah always overcomes those schemes. And that is something which Allah Azza wa mentions in numerous places in the Quran in, in different ways, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so this is an important point to remember, uh, which is an issue of aqidah. And so therefore Allah Azza wa is the best of planners and the best of those who overcome the schemes of others. So those people who want to attack the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like for example in the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they would cause people to, by making fun of the Qur'an, and making fun of Islam, and making fun of resurrection and so on, they wanted people to go away from the religion of Allah Azza wa Jal. What ends up happening? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala overcomes their plans and plots. Allah defeats them, and Islam reigns supreme over the city of Mecca and in Arabia. And all of those people, or many of them, come into the fold of Islam, or from their children and from their descendants, they come into the fold of Islam. right? And this is essentially what Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin Ash-Shanqiti rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned in his tafsir. He says that Allah Azza wa Jal is the one who, when they want to extinguish the light of Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala extinguishes them instead and Allah Azza wa Jal completes his light as he mentions in a number of surahs in the Quran, like for example in Surah Al-Saf. And he gives an example, like the example of the day of Badr, when those uh, disbelievers of Quraysh came in their vast army with all of their weapons and all of their cavalry and everything else, their armor and all of their wealth and their might, they came in order to cause the decimation of Islam. And this is their plot, this is their scheme, they want to come, they want to kill, they want to, as we know the whole story goes, you know, when they were planning, should we go out, not go out, how do we fight, what do we fight, all of that is mentioned in the books of Sirah and in the books of history. And then they come to the battlefield of Badr. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, and inshallah ta'ala, when we get to that part of the Qur'an, for example, in Surah Al-Anfal, when Allah Azza wa Jal goes into detail, and we mentioned this previously, for those of you that follow Jalalain and Sa'di, uh, the verses that speak about the Battle of Badr. 
and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the Quraysh with all of their army, even though they were three times the number of the Muslims, he made them seem small in the eyes of the believers. And the Muslims, even though they were a third of their size in terms of their army, Allah made them seem much bigger. And then Allah Azza wa Jal, in the other ways that are mentioned in the in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused rain to descend upon them and caused you know, the, the situation or the, or, the, or the circumstances, the general uh, situation of the battlefield to be in the favor of the Muslims and not in the favor of the Quraysh and so on and so forth. All of that is mentioned. These are all examples of how those people came out with a plan and plot to cause harm to Islam and to harm the Muslims and the Prophet wasallam. And Allah had a greater plan. And Allah caused their plan to fail. And Allah gave the Muslims that victory as we know on the day of Badr. That is a good example. And you find this throughout the Sunnah. And you find this throughout the ages as well. So even when Islam seems to be weak and the Muslims seem to be weak, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always causes a victory for the Muslims in one way or another. Sometimes that victory may take time. Sometimes it may be delayed. At other times, it may not seem like it is a victory in the here and now, but eventually it is something which uh, which you see uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives victory to those people who are sincere for his sake, sincere for his cause and sincere for his sake. And so Allah azza wa jal says that therefore, as they plan and plot, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala outdoes their plans and their plots. And then in the final verse, verse number 17, Allah azza wa jal concludes this surah by saying, kafirina." Allah Azza wa says in the in translation of Professor Abdul Harim, let the disbelievers be, let them be for a while. And Muhsin Khan, so give a respite to the disbelievers, deal gently with them for a while. And Sahih International, so allow time for the disbelievers, leave them a while. And Mufti Taqi, so leave the disbelievers alone at the moment, give them respite for a while. So Allah Azza wa says, as uh, Ibn Abbas, and Qatada rahimahullah said that the meaning of the word ruwayda is leave them for a short amount of time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands the believers um, as Ibn Zayd rahimahullah ta'ala says, he says give them time and don't be hasty. Leave them until Allah azza wa makes your affair stronger and you are able to overcome them. And Imam al-Tabadi rahimahullah ta'ala said that Allah azza wa is saying don't be hasty. Rather, O Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, give them time, leave them be, and give them time. And a time will come then when you will be able to overcome them. Uh, and Ibn Qayyim, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, said something very similar. So Allah Azza wa is essentially saying to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the believers, فَمَهِّلِ الْكَافِرِينَ Give them, leave them be. Meaning that at this time in the Meccan period, when the Muslims are weak, when they're being oppressed, when they're being uh, tortured, when they're being when, they're, when when there's oppression being placed upon them, they don't have the ability and they don't have the strength to overcome the Quraysh, and they can't fight them and they can't raise up arms against them. So what do they do? Leave them to their plots and their plans and their schemes. And that is why the Muslims have this iman that even when uh, they're weak or they feel like it feels like the Muslims across the world are being oppressed. We have the iman that Allah Azza wa Jalla is the best of planners. Me, you, many others, we may not have any power, not be able to do much, and we can only make dua that Allah Azza wa Jalla helps uh, people across the world, all of those who are being oppressed, whoever they are and wherever they are. Allah Azza wa Jalla is the best of planners, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has His time due to His wisdom, Subhanahu wa Taala, in which He, uh, the time in which He allows these things to take place in a manner that He dictates, Subhanahu wa Taala with the wisdom, the perfect wisdom and knowledge that he has, Jalla fi ula. And so the Muslim knows this for truth. He knows that this will be the case. And this is something which the Prophet ﷺ taught the companions when, for example, in the battle of the trench, they're digging the trench and they're coming across these boulders that they have to break down. And it's back-breaking work, hard work each and every single day. And the Prophet ﷺ, as he mentioned in the hadith, he's telling them that a day will come and they will conquer Persia. A day will come and they will conquer Byzantium. And so the Prophet is showing to them that Allah has a greater plan. But you may not live to see it and you may not know what it is and you may not appreciate it, but Allah Azza wa knows. And so, so long as you are strong in your iman, strong in your, in your trust in Allah Azza wa and patient with the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah Azza wa will make your affairs easy for you 
and Allah Azza wa will make the affairs of the Muslims easy for them, whether in our lifetimes or after our lifetimes. And that is what our book teaches us. Even if we look throughout the Sunnah, those hadith that speak about the signs of Yawm Al-Qiyamah, the last days and so on, that's what you see. You see that Allah Azza wa will give power or give strength to the Muslims and victory to the Muslims, such as, for example, over the Dajjal and the Ajuj and Ma'juj and all of those uh, signs of Yawm Al-Qiyamah that we are aware of. And so therefore the Prophet is being told, this is not yet the time. Wait for a short while and then your time will come. And that short while you know, is relative. In the time of the Prophet as we know, they have to wait until the second day of the Hijrah, when they can, or even after the Hijrah. So they wait those 13 years of the Meccan period. Right? That's the time frame that they have to wait. And those are short times in the age of the world, right? the age of the earth, the thousands of years that have passed. 13 years, 20 years, 100 years is nothing. It's like the blink of an eye. So Allah Azza wa Jalla is saying to the companions and to the Muslims that they should wait until Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala gives to them uh, gives to them the command that they can fight. And that command obviously comes later on, for example in Surah At-Tawbah and other parts of the Quran, when Allah Azza wa Jalla says to them that they may fight and defend themselves and fight their enemies. So they fight the Quraysh as we know in the time of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And that is why Many of the scholars of tafsir, or a number of them, were of the position that this um, that this verse later became abrogated. So this is, or if it's not abrogated, it is in this context, and that is the context when the Muslims are unable to defend themselves and unable to uh, to take the rights that are due to them. Uh, and this is mentioned by, uh, or it is, it is it is hinted at by Imam Al Tabari and mentioned by Imam Al Qurtubi and mentioned by Sheikh Muhammad Al Amin Al Shanqidi, rahimahumullah Taala, also. And the word Ruwaida, as we said, means for a short while. It means a short. Ruwaida means qalil. It means be slow or it means uh, for a short time. It is essentially that type of meaning. And so that is how Allah Azza wa says to the believers that they're planning and they're plotting. And Allah Azza wa has the best of plans. But you must be patient. And this is one of the greatest or the most important lessons, therefore, from this surah. The issue of patience with Allah's plans. Because we often make dua for Allah, to Allah for things that we want and we often ask Allah for His help for things that we cannot control that are beyond our control. And for both of those things, we're often very hasty. We want Allah's blessings immediately and we want Allah's help and His divine protection immediately as well. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us those things. But you may not necessarily see them in front of you in the manner that you expect immediately. But Allah Azza wa may take his time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may delay Allah Azza wa And know that that period of delay is a period for you to continue to come closer to Allah Azza wa Because if every time you made dua, Allah gave it to you immediately, you're going to stop making dua for that same thing. If every time you, you have to be patient, Allah Azza wa helps you, you're going to stop being patient. And so therefore, the fact that you have to wait sometimes for years in order to achieve something, and you're consistently making dua, consistently worshipping Allah, consistently being patient, consist, consistently um, showing gratitude to Allah Azza wa that is a sign that it is something which is good for you. Because throughout that time you're worshipping Allah, you come closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah Azza wa knows best. And with that we come to the end of the tafsir of Surah Al-Tariq. And with that, as we said, we come to the end of uh, this academic year for QP, our fifth year, alhamdulillah. And we praise Allah Azza wa and thank Him for giving us this blessing of being able to study His book and to understand the Quran and to contemplate over it. And inshallah ta'ala, next year, inshallah, we will then continue with the next surah of the Quran, as well as obviously the usual things that we do with the QP specials and, and other additional stuff, bi'ithnillahi ta'ala. Um, if there's any questions, inshallah, we'll take them. But just, just before I do, just to repeat the announcements that I made at the beginning for those of you who may not have attended, this is the last lesson of QP because potentially next Tuesday could be the first Taraweeh, I think. And even if it's not, you know, it's not going to be far off. So uh, just to be on the safe side, this is going to be the last lesson, inshallah ta'ala, for this year. Uh, there's an email that was sent out today, so a lot of the information you'll find on there. Our program, inshallah ta'ala, for, meaning my program, uh, for the next month or so, this weekend we have our next Al-Isnad course, which is a Shama'il by Imam Al-Tirmidhi, it's a book of hadith, 400 odd narrations describing the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So that's going to be this weekend, inshallah ta'ala. And then throughout Ramadan, every day, inshallah, tafsir al-Sa'di, 
uh, we're starting from Surah Al-Anbiya, the 17th Juz, insha'Allah ta'ala. And then everything else in terms of QP exams, revision dates, uh, restart of, of, of the next academic year and so on. Inshallah, keep an eye on the Telegram groups and you will be updated as and when, inshallah ta'ala. And before I also conclude um, or take a question or so, um, a couple of things I want to thank uh, the brothers and sisters who are behind uh, QP. You know, I don't always mention them, and I think many of you know Shaz and, and, and some of the other people, but there are many others as well whose names probably aren't mentioned. Each one of them is, is important in the way that they make sure that everything works you know, very well, alhamdulillah, most times without any problems. Uh, sometimes I'm away, sometimes they're away, sometimes they're traveling, sometimes there's technical glitches, all sorts of things happen. And alhamdulillah, we're kind of like each and every single week are able to uh, have the class and that is something which is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but also it goes to the efforts of those people who are behind the scenes. And then also the people that are involved in QP specifically, so our amazing transcribing team, uh, who are, mashallah, every single week. And not only are they transcribing this, uh, by the way, they've transcribed Tafsir al-Jalalain and the first two years of Saadi. And inshallah ta'ala, that's something which is going to be available soon, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, we just need to work on, on, on the portal and so on to add all of that stuff. So that's all done, so you know, the, the, the videos for those tafsirs, the audio for those tafsirs, the transcribed notes for those tafsirs, and you can imagine, like two hours a day, every single day in Ramadan, how much work and effort that must take. So I ask Allah Azza to bless them. And also then the people that do the exams, our, our team that does the exams and the revision notes. There's a lot of people here that are in play, and I'm the one that sits in front of the camera that you see, but there's a, a number of brothers and sisters that are in the background that are helping to make inshallah ta'ala your experience better but also to service the religion of Allah Azza wa Jalla and the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala especially in the English language. So may Allah Azza wa Jalla bless everyone and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep you all safe and inshallah ta'ala we will resume with Allah ta'ala next year. Just this question that I have, can you touch the Quran with that wudu which has English translation but with Arabic script? Yes, you can uh, because that's not considered to be the Mus'haf. The Mus'haf is something which is only Arabic. It is only Arabic. So anything which has English, tafsir, translations or anything else is not the Musaf and therefore you can touch it without wudu and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all and may Allah Azza wa Jal grant you all a successful and good Ramadan and ask Allah Azza wa Jal that he keeps us all safe and gives us the ability to continue to study his religion. Barakallahu feekum wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.